You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. if our faith is really reliable until we're placed in a situation where we totally have to put our trust and our faith in God. So that we know that we need to work on our faith. We know that we need to increase our faith. And there are many different ways that we go about doing that. One of the ways is through the study of God's Word. The book of Romans tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the more that we dig in deeper into the Word of God, it enables us to build and increase our, our faith. When you're lifting weights, it doesn't always feel good. In fact, it hurts and causes a soreness later that makes you wonder if you regretted working out at all. But as you work day in, day out, you start to build up muscle because of those painful workouts. This is sort of how it is with trials you face in life, too. Pastor Mike reminds you today that God allows these trials to build up your faith and your trust in Him rather than removing the trials from your life altogether. So in the hurt, strengthen your faith. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24 as he continues his message, Confidence in God. respectful of Saul's position, and we should be respectful of other people's positions as uh, well. He prostrated, notice himself, according to verse 8, as a sign of subservience. Rising, he explains what he had done and how his actions disproved the accusations of others. Okay, let's go back to our text now, verses 9 through uh, 12. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Now, I want you to take special note of the way that David addresses Saul here. He's very prudent. He's very careful in the way that he addresses the king. So prudently, notice here in verse 9, he translates the fault to Saul's evil counselors who were suggesting that David was behind this conspiracy against the king. So where does he place the blame? Notice he doesn't place the blame upon the king, but rather the advice of his evil counselors. But the truth of the matter was all about uh, Saul, right? The fault really lied with uh, Saul. But I, I found it kind of interesting the way that he addressed Saul at this time. Well, then let's go on, verse 10. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. This, again, was no coincidence. This was all sovereignly 
set up by God just to prove and to test uh, David and his integrity. He goes on to declare, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, notice the way that he addresses him here as his father. See, yes, see the corner of your robe, and now he's holding it in his hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, contrary to what you believe or what others have suggested. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me. Notice the absolute faith and trust in God that is uh, expressed here by David when he says, let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So, what do we have here? David's confidence was firmly placed in the Lord here. Just confident that God's will would be done. He has no false hope of being restored to Saul's favor. And notice there in verse 15, let's jump a little bit ahead there. He says, Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. F.B. Meyer, and listen, anything that you can get your hands on that's been written by F.B. Meyer, I would encourage you uh, to make sure that you make it a part of uh, your library so anything that he's a very reputable uh, writer, so uh, it make a great addition to uh, your library. So anything that you get your hands on by F.B. Uh, Meyer would be a good addition. F.B. Meyer said concerning this, in all this we see that David knew not only how to wait on the Lord, but he also knew how to wait for the Lord. Should I say that again? Let me say it one more time. In all this, everything that's being played out here, this whole scene, we see that David not only uh, knew how to wait upon the Lord, but he also knew how to wait for the Lord. And how was that? Well, we wait on the Lord by prayer and supplication. Don't take matters into your own uh, hands. By the way, this is just one of the benefits and perks of being a child of God. You know, let God make matters right. Just, you know, place yourself uh, completely in the hands of him who judges righteously, as we are exhorted uh, to do in the, in the scriptures. So we wait on the Lord by prayer and supplication, looking for the indication of God's will. We wait for the Lord by patience and submission, looking for the intervention of God's hand. So good advice by F. Uh, B. Meyer. Now, Let's go back to our text. The effect of David's positive and respectful confrontation of Saul is striking. Let's go on, verses 16 through 21. And so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? So obviously at this time, uh, Saul's eyesight was kind of dimming, and so he didn't... Uh, you know, when he turned to see where that voice had been coming from, he didn't immediately recognize that it was David, but he did recognize him by his voice. 
And so, uh, again, we read there, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me, this is Saul now addressing David, by the Lord, when you ascend to the throne, that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So as I've mentioned, Saul's eyesight had begun to fail, which is indicated by what is recorded there in verse 16. Is that you, David? Nonetheless, he recognized David's voice. Saul was moved. Saul was reproved. He was overwhelmed by David's generosity. And in loud lamentation, he expresses his grief over what he had done and what he had been putting David through. He admits David had dealt with him far better than he deserved. Notice he also acknowledged that David would reign after him, which was no small thing. And he asked David to enter into an oath not to kill off his family when he became king, according to verse 21. And then finally we read the last verse of chapter 24. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So what's going on here? Well, David reaped coals of kindness upon Saul's head, and it melted Saul's heart. And we're instructed to do that, by the way, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 25. That's the way that we are to uh, deal with our uh, enemies. Well, okay, David knew Saul's character, and it seems as if Saul had a change of heart here, doesn't it? But this is not the first time that Saul had a change of heart. And then he continued on his course to kill uh, David. So David knew Saul's character. He realized from past experience that the king's good intentions would vanish as rapidly as they had been manifested. You know, a part of his character was he was so flippant. So being prudent, David took great care to place a suitable distance between himself and the king. You know, many times a person repents, and it almost seems as if Saul, you know, is repenting here of what he had uh, intended to do, uh, the things that he put David through. It seems like he had a change of heart that he's repenting. Uh, so a person often seems as if he's repented, and claims to recognize their sinful ways, just like Saul did here on this occasion. But the validity of repentance and a changed heart isn't demonstrated by the emotion or sincerity of a moment. It is demonstrated by the ongoing direction of one's life. 
Alan Redpath, who, by the way, is also one of my favorite writers. Anything you can get your hands on that's been written by Alan Redpath, and by the way, one of the greatest commentaries that have been written on 1 Samuel. The title of that uh, book is A Man After God's Own Heart, <laughs> by the way, by Alan Redpath. It, I believe it's out of print, but you could probably get it on one of your search engines, you know, uh, uh, christianbooks.com or, or, or any of those um, uh, search engines, Alan Redpath, in his book, and his commentary, commenting on this, and he said about true repentance, he says, emotion that does not lead to action only leads deeper into sin and rebellion. And we'll see that is going to be the case with uh, Saul here as we continue to move on through the rest of 1 uh, Samuel. Now, with that said, a few final thoughts about this section of 1 Samuel. Let's go back even a couple of chapters. First of all, having, let, so let's kind of review all of what we've been talking about. Having considered a, a disillusional uh, king, the slander and misrepresentation of the Ziphites, who all had lined themselves with Saul to kill David, the uplifting encouragement and counsel of Jonathan, uh, David's good friend, but also Saul's son, I want to focus our attention on the ways that the Lord works in the lives of his children. And uh, just to build our confidence in God. And I suspect that every one of us at this time is going through something in our own life's experience, some trouble, some difficulties. I know that I am right now with my son Elijah who has become sick, and we really don't even know what's going on. And uh, we're just trusting God. We're just, we're just believing God that he's going to touch him and, and heal him. And uh, so I just want to share some things with you as we close out this message that I trust will uh, help you to build your confidence in God. And remember, that's the title of this message, our confidence in God. But first of all, let me begin by saying, before I go through what God did in David's life, I want to begin by saying, you know, God does not always take away our trials, our difficulties, our burdens, but nevertheless, he strengthens us so that we can persevere through them. You see, through our trials, through our problems, our difficulties, these are the ways that God reveals himself. These are the ways that God shows himself to us. And if we never went through those difficulties in our life's experience, we wouldn't even know who God is. We wouldn't even know that God is with us. We wouldn't even know that God's hand is upon us. And by the way, this is also the way that he proves our trust and faith in, in him. I mean, how, how do we know if our faith is really reliable until we're placed in a situation where we totally have to put our trust and our faith in God? so that we know that we need to work on our faith. We know that we need to increase our faith. And there are many different ways that we go about uh, doing that. One of the ways is through the study of God's word. The book of Romans tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more that we dig in deeper into the word of God, it enables us to build and increase our, our faith. But sometimes faith is just increased by the exercise of it in those times of trouble and difficulties is looking to God for our uh, answers. 
So these are the ways that God proves our faith. Okay, so with that said, let's consider the different ways the Lord helped and preserved uh, David. So we want to go back a couple of chapters. Remember, when first the command was given to kill David, let's go back quickly to 1 Samuel in chapter 19. I want you to do a little work here. But let's just go back a couple of chapters. In 1 Samuel in chapter 19, verses 1 and then verses 4 through 6, it was the wise counsel of Jonathan that turned the king from his murderous purpose. So let's review that. 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But notice Jonathan's intercession on David's part. Saul's son delighted greatly in David. Let's jump down to verse 4 now. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands. He killed the Philistine, Goliath. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So what was Saul's response? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. So this was just one of the ways that God interceded for David it was through David's good friend, Jonathan. When Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, not only once but twice, it was David's watchful eye and quick reflexes that enabled him to escape. And the record of this is also recorded in 1 Samuel in chapter 19 and verses 9 and 10. So this was just another way that God intervened uh, on David's uh, behalf. Uh, another example, when Saul gave his servants instructions to kill David, also in chapter 19 and verses 11 uh, uh, through 17, it was Michal's, David's wife, uh, keen mind and knowledge of her father that led her to detect the danger and her ready wit that devised a plan so that Saul's soldiers searched her house in vain for her husband. Remember the night before, her counsel to her husband, and he was led out through the window and escaped through the city. And then remember when the soldiers arrived that were sent by Saul, remember uh, she addressed them and said, oh, my husband David is sick and is lying in his bed. Remember, she took one of the idols and she took some goat hair and uh, put it on the pillow. So it, it seemed as if David was lying there in the bed and sick. And so the soldiers came back to Saul and and shared, you know, what had taken place. And remember, Saul's response was, hey, you go back there, and you take David up in his sick, you take the bed up and everything and bring him back to me, right? But it was her keen wit that enabled uh, David to uh, escape uh, that faith. And so uh, this was just another way, another means by which God intervened on David's part. Then remember also, when Saul sent emissaries to Naioth, which was where the school of the prophets were, where David was in hiding to capture David. None could carry out the king's command. There were three different groups that were sent on three different occasions. 
And each group, when they arrived at Naioth, there at the school of the prophets, became overwhelmed by the Spirit. And they began to prophesy. That as they began to uh, proclaim the, the, the wonders of God, the glories of God, they began to worship God. They were incapacitated. They were unable to do anything other than worship God on three different occasions. And then they came back. And this was just another way. And then finally, Saul uh, went back there with another company of men. And remember what happened to him. When he arrived at that uh, destination, the spirit came upon him. He tore off all of his clothes. He laid down prostrate uh, on his face and he began to worship God. He was also incapacitated by the spirit, which gave David ample time to escape that faith as well. So time and time again, God intervened on behalf of his servant, uh, David. When David and his men were then nomads, surrounded by the king's forces, the news that the Philistines had invaded the land. We've already talked about this. And thus Saul was forced to give up his pursuit. Chapter 23, verses 24 through 28. And uh, so he had to take care of what was going on. And uh, he had to go up against the Philistines. And again, once again, that gave David ample time to escape. Listen, all of these incidents should bring us great encouragement. Listen, the Lord has thousands of ways to protect his own. He allows trials to come to test us and to deepen our trust in him. I want to give you a cross-reference from the book of Psalms. It's written in the 54th Psalm in verse 1, where there the psalmist declares, Save me, O God, by your name, and judge me by your strength. Let me break that down for you. To be saved by God's name means to be delivered by all that God is. That is the totality of his nature. And I want you to think about the nature of God. That God is so gracious and long-suffering. He's all providing for his uh, people. He'll do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And then also to break down another part of that psalm, to be judged by God's strength is to be vindicated by his power, even as David was vindicated by the power of God. All of what God had done in David's life and for David, he will also do for you and for me. How marvelous it is to have one such as our God to intervene on our behalf. Listen, David learned through the things he suffered to place his trust in the Lord. And so as we close out this message, may our trial, our difficulties, our problems only serve us in the same way that our faith and our trust in God might be built up and strengthened in Him. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be oh, my The book of 1 Samuel details how the nation of Israel transitioned from the era of having judges to a time period where they demanded to have a king rule over them. The pages that then followed include the rise and fall of King Saul, as well as introducing a person in the Bible that becomes one of the greatest men of faith. 
David. First Samuel's book of action and adventure, but also a reminder of God's swift consequences or judgment when people fall away from Him. So often you might wonder how a passage relates to you today, but there's always something to apply from God's Word, and this book is no exception. Take the life lessons in this book and keep them in mind as you're faced with decisions to make and directions to go. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us. You can join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find out more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Make plans to join us on Thursdays, too. We're meeting virtually to jump back into the Word midweek and worship the Lord. That starts at 7.30 p.m. online at harvestnyc.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from 1 Samuel right here on In My Father's House. Oh